Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Small Biz Brainiac. This is your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. And once again, I'm here with your other host, Robert Attridge. Hey, Tom. Happy to be here today. Happy, what is this? Thursday. This is a Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Happy Thursday. And we have with us um, Bill Marshall. Bill Marshall is the director of loss control for Venture Employer Services, which, as you might already know by now, since you've been listening for a while, is a professional employer organization which is based in Chandler, Arizona. And Robert and I have known Bill for a while, I guess for full disclosure, I should say Bill is my brother-in-law. And um, yeah, I've known Bill for, I don't know, Bill, how long have you guys been married? Uh, We've been married for 12 years and uh, we've been together for 15. So I've known you for 15 years then because I pretty I, I don't think she kept you from us for for uh a couple of years or anything like that so no i don't think so I yeah think so i've known you quite right a while in. and when did you bill when did you start uh working for venture i started working for venture in 2009 in the loss control department excellent and you moved down here from colorado which i think is where you pretty much spent most of your 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 life Except, well, that's not true, actually. You came from Southern California originally. Yeah, I was born and raised in Southern California. broke into the uh, construction industry, the management side of construction. Uh, Probably about, gosh, it was uh, the 80s. And uh, spent about 20 20 plus years in the construction industry as a project manager, building in... uh, California, Arizona, and uh, Colorado. Yes, and I've seen some of the homes that you guys uh, built. I think for a while there you were with a company that specialized in high-end custom homes, and you you guys created some pretty amazing uh, homes. Yeah, that was a company uh, out of Aspen, Colorado. We were building you know, anywhere from... 20,000 to 30,000 square foot ski in, ski out uh, um, homes that uh, they were uh, they were amazing homes. They were pretty cool. Pretty cool. So then the market kind of tanked and uh, you changed your career. Well, yeah, I, I did change it, but you know, in the construction industry, uh, as a project manager, you're responsible and required to uh, develop and implement a safety program to protect all workers on the construction site. And as as most people know, we're faced with many hazards uh, in the uh, construction industry on a day-to-day basis, and the site is always changing, uh, so the hazards are as well. Which is exactly why you were hired by Venture, because of that significant construction industry experience and the fact that you we're already working in in kind of that capacity responsible for safety of your crew and the subcontractors as well 
So it was uh, actually a very uh, perfect transition. Yeah, it, it was definitely a, uh, an easy transition. I mean, dealing with the safety on a day-to-day basis, um, now you, you don't have the to focus on the construction production. You don't have to focus on the contracts, the budgets, the schedules. Now when you're going out to a job site, whether it be general industry or construction, you're more focused on the safety aspect. So you're able to identify the hazards and the um, safety controls that need to be developed and implemented to protect the worker in the workplace. Well, today's episode is about uh, the general industry walking-working surfaces and fall protection standards that uh, OSHA has recently modified. And so we wanted to talk about what those not necessarily what, well, I guess a little bit about what those modifications are, but more importantly, you know, what role those standards play in the day-to-day safety for your work environment. And they have applicability, broad applicability, not just to any, you know, particular industry like construction, right? There there are uh, fall hazards in, in just about every business including a, a white collar office environment yeah that's that's true tom i mean in office we we uh we we look for the the trip hazards the slip hazards uh, if you work in a environment uh that you are exposed to snow and ice in the winter um, what's your protection plan for slip and falls uh, exiting the the uh the building for lunch um, coming in going out uh a lot of the winter plans we have for slip and falls is just, uh, we call it the cup rule. There's a cup of uh, sand and a, a bucket with sand, and as you walk out, you grab a cup of sand and you, sh- you know, sprinkle it down on the uh, the sidewalk outside the building. <laughs> That's nice. That's cool. That's a good idea. Then you walk, walk around your office, you're looking for trip hazards, cords. Um, a lot of people come in, they have a, a briefcase or a, uh, a backpack. They may set it. In the in the aisle next to their desk, not realizing that you've just created a trip hazard. Yeah. So so Bill, when you when you do a safety evaluation or a walkthrough at a at one of your clients' locations, are the the business owners, the employers, are they pretty receptive to the you know to the uh, items that you point out and uh, willing to to implement those changes, or or is there a a bit of resistance in most cases uh the the employers that we work with they want to do the right thing they want to protect the workers um they just don't have the knowledge uh and experience to implement those things so most of them appreciate the time that we spend with them the hazards that we identify and the suggestions on how to correct and um protect their employees what's amazing to me is that there are so many uh, hazards around that you know you just don't think about right i mean those things don't cross people's minds on a daily basis unless you're thinking about them or you're trained to think about them uh unfortunately sometimes it takes a, a serious injury to uh have an employer think about the uh the hazards in the workplace and by then it's uh it's it's a little bit too late and uh we've got an injured employee 
and if they're hospitalized or seriously injured, um, you got OSHA that's going to come in and do an investigation, and that's an expensive lesson in most cases. Are they going to leave a a nice little uh, love note behind with a fine on it, or? In most cases, yeah. If you've got an employer that is really making an effort and has programs in place, um, you may get slapped with a warning. But even a warning these days carries a, a small fine, which could be anywhere from two to five hundred. If it's a serious uh, citation, you know, in two thousand sixteen. The OSHA, federal OSHA, and most of the state programs have raised the uh, the penalties. The fines have went from a serious what was five hundred or five thousand. Now it's uh, twelve thousand six hundred. Oh wow! And a willful is um, one hundred and twelve thousand six hundred. Wow! Does, Good grief! Does OSHA only come in after an injury, or do they do they do it their own? Uh, site inspections well there's there's um, several different reasons OSHA will come in one may be what is called a a programmed and a programmed can be uh, can be generated by your mod if you're over a 1.25 your company goes into a fishbowl and uh, OSHA just pulls from that that fishbowl random randomly and gets out and does an inspection there's a complaint, so you have an employee that files a complaint. They're going to come out and investigate. And then the other one is a uh, hospitalization or a fatality. They're going to come out. Okay. So let's, uh, we've talked a little bit then about just, you know, the trip hazards, the fall hazards that could happen or the, the type of in, or what could cause a fall, right, from the working surface, right, the, the ground level, the, the surface you're working on. But uh, most injuries, if I'm not mistaken, in this um, in this category, happen from from heights, usually from ladders. And so, ladder safety is kind of a big focus of of uh, for OSHA and, and should be for for most businesses. And again, even in the clerical office environment, I know that occasionally. You know, somebody will bust out a ladder and change a light bulb or put a box up on a shelf. Or, and so there's, there is that uh, exposure to worry about. Absolutely, Tom. Uh, you see a lot of injuries from ladders. And, and lam- uh, ladders are so common in the household that people just uh, feel everybody knows how to use a ladder. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, there's there's more to a ladder than just grabbing it and, and using it. I see it in my office, especially around the holidays. The ladies want to decorate the office, which is great, but they're using a ladder and they're high, in high heels. <laughs> Probably not the best footwear for using a ladder. No, hey, I was I was hanging my Christmas decorations in high heels. So you're saying that's wrong? <laughs> uh, no comment on that. <laughs> Somehow I'm not surprised <laughs> that's what you were doing. Um, ladder safety is is extremely important. Uh, I had a uh, a restaurant facility in uh, Louisiana, and uh, the manager asked an employee to 
clean the uh, the diffusers on the uh, fluorescent lights in the dining area. The employee was um, he was a, a heavy set fella, and uh, he grabbed a ladder, but he wasn't trained. So he grabbed a four foot ladder, and he was standing on the top of the ladder. And not only standing on the top, then he decided to put one foot on a a 48-inch pony wall. And then when he stepped from the pony wall back to that aluminum ladder, the ladder twisted and he fell four feet and broke his femur. So if he he would have been trained on, on first of all, what ladder to use for the job, he would have chose probably a six-foot ladder. Um, and he would have looked at what that ladder was rated for weight-wise. This, uh, this fellow weighed about uh, close to 300 pounds. The ladder was rated for 225 pounds, which most household ladders are rated for 225. Wow. And he fell and broke his femur. He was off work for six months, had to have surgery. Uh, it was a very expensive claim for the, uh, for the employer. So, wow, that's a great example. You know, take the time to teach your employees. You go to the OSHA website. There's ladder training um, uh, material on there to help you train the employees, document the training. Um, and if you don't do it and that, that was to happen, you would be cited from OSHA because you're required to train your employees on it. Um, you know, talking a little bit about the, uh, the new changes to the uh, general industry fall protection it pretty much parallels the the 1926, which is construction, and it's giving the employers the option to to choose uh, from your three basic fall protection systems, meaning guardrail, safety nets, and and personal fall arrest systems. It also gives the employer the the option to develop their own fall protection plan meaning that the three primary uh, methods are, are unfeasible for, for what they're doing and causes greater risk to the employee. Uh, I, I usually suggest to my, my clients not to, to take this route, and if they do, make sure that they have a safety professional that really understands the, the risk and the hazards associated with the tasks that are going to be performed. Because if something is to go wrong... It's your responsibility to prove to OSHA without a doubt that the three primary methods were were uh, not uh, not the best route to go. Weren't, for. They weren't the be- They weren't appropriate for your situation, and so you chose one of these alternatives. Right. Um, so you know, typically, a fall arrest system and a guardrail system is is what you see most of the time in the workplace. Safety net system, I, 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 I've never seen them in a general industry setting. I've seen them in construction on high rise, and a lot of times they're not really used for uh, fall. I mean, they're there if a, if an employee was to fall from leading edge, but a lot of times they're used to catch falling debris. Well, okay, so stop right there and explain what you mean by those those three methods. You you said fall protection. You said a fall arrest system and safety net. So, w- what are those? 
Well, a guardrail system, obviously, you see them anywhere um, in your in houses. You see them. I mean, we use them as permanent fall protection in most cases, and that's a rail that uh, top rails. Uh, 39 to 42 inches you got your mid rail which is uh typically about 22 to 24 and then you got um a tow board at the bottom and the tow board's there to keep tools and things from rolling into a let's say a stairwell and striking employees working below so at what height do you when does that kind of kick in i mean if i'm if i'm working three feet above the surface do i need a guardrail you, in three feet, you wouldn't need a guardrail. The The trigger point is four feet in general industry. It's six feet in um, c- construction. Um, now, if you're at three feet and you have, got, uh, you have dangerous equipment that you could possibly fall into and get injured, you have to protect the employee from a fall into that equipment below. And then you could go to guardrail. You can go to a... Uh, a fall rest system, which I, I probably wouldn't choose that, um, because you're going. There is a, a free fall now. A fall rest system. What that means is you're already falling. This is just going to protect you from hitting the ground or hitting the, the lower lower level b- below you. Now there are fall rest systems that I I like where they give you two feet of free fall. But in reality, it's like the seat belt of a car. We call them a yo-yo, and what it is, it's a round circle with a cable. You hook it up to your anchor point, and you hook it up to your harness, your D-ring on the back. And it, typically, the industry says it, it, will keep, it will keep your free fall to a, a minimum of two feet. But in reality, it, it's, it's less than two feet. It's maybe six inches, four to six inches. Because it works like the seatbelt in a car. When that seatbelt, you yank it hard, it stops. And I prefer those because you're not actually going to go into a fall. It's actually a, more like a pos- positioning device because it keeps you from that fall. So there's a little bit of resistance Absolutely. Uh, included. Yeah. And, and the workers tend to like these better because, you know, it, it's a... Uh, it retracts. So if I'm walking, you know, in a six foot radius, because I'm working in that area, it, it just it will let you out, unless there's a, a violent yank on it, then it will stop you. So they prefer to, to work that versus a a uh, traditionary lanyard, which you have to continually adjust. And a, a traditional lanyard. It's a trip hazard too, isn't it? It's a trip hazard. If anybody's ever worked on a roof and and, um, used a a fall arrest system, the harness and and rope, yes, you you step on that rope, which is about a about a probably about an inch in diameter, and you roll. It's a trip hazard, Um, and you've got to continually adjust it. Now there's room for air. So if you've got an employee that wasn't trained well or he doesn't adjust it right for whatever reason. Now he's going to fall and hit the ground because he didn't have it adjusted correctly. And um, you're going to fall. If you don't adjust it properly, you, you'll hit the ground. So you don't, but when you're working on a ladder, you don't have to have, I mean, if you're on a ladder and you're on, a, you're, you're on an eight-foot ladder, you're six feet up and you're changing a light bulb, in those situations, you don't have to have a, a fall arrest system or a safety net or a guardrail, right? I mean, you're... You, no, that's correct, Tom. You don't. You don't have to. There are some ladder rules changing with the new, 
the new rules. They won't uh, go into effect for, I think it's 24 months. Um, and most of those are stationary ladders. And typically you'll see a stationary ladder on a building with a, a cage around it. And um, a lot of people used to think that cage was a fall-resistant uh, uh, application. But in reality, what that was designed for, let's say you're climbing up you know, 40, 50 feet. You've got the cage there. Well, that's a long climb, and it was designed so if you get tired, you can still hold on to the rail but lean against that cage to take a rest. Well, um, safety net, you, you were going to maybe explain a little was, bit about that. I don't think yeah. we talked about that yet. No, we haven't talked about safety net. You, you, typically, you'll see them in the uh, large cities where you don't have a lot of room for um, construction and you're trying to cover two things. You're trying to protect the uh, workers down below from being hit by falling objects. And then the other thing is is you've got that net as a fall protection. Um what amazes me is you can can have that net 30 feet below that leading edge above. So you're going to fall 30 feet before you hit that net and stops you. That's a long that's a long fall. It's a long fall. Um <laughs> a lot can the, go wrong. Oh, absolutely. A lot of the work sites that I've been on that they've used those um the the large contractors and builders have taken best practices into place and put uh, fall, fall protection uh, at a ne- another level, meaning that you have the net, it's there in case you do fall, but you're required to wear a fall rest system when you're working around a leading edge as well. Yeah, so the net's just kind of a backup. It's a backup, and, uh, and then again... And for the safety of the people below. Correct, correct. So you've said leading edge a couple of times. So tell me, what what is the definition of a leading edge? A leading edge is, uh, it's the edge that... So the drop uh, off. That, that's your points right there at the edge, and you would fall to the lower level, being four feet in, uh, in general industry and six feet in, um, in uh, construction, construction, 1926, yeah. Well, you know, I loved that story about the, I mean, the restaurant just as a ter- teaching tool, not not that the person you fell and broke their femur. But you're not taking light in the actual injury. No, I know you get off on things like that, Robert, but <laughs> I don't because, okay. you know, I actually care about other people. So, Fine. but as a teaching tool, that was a an excellent example, so... Could you maybe give us another, tell us another story about one of, uh, about a situation where the employer just didn't, didn't take the necessary steps to train their employees? Yeah. Um, I'll give you two. I'll give you one in the general industry, restaurant industry. I'll give you another one in the uh, construction industry. Awesome. The the one in the, um, the general industry was the, the restaurant hospitality industry, it, it was a simple fix. In most restaurants, you have uh, a walk-in cooler, you have a walk-in freezer. Walk-in cooler, you don't have it's the temperature set, so you're not going to have freezing. 
typically, you don't have mats or grip tape on the floor. They'll put a, uh, uh, a type of tile that has a traction on it. Now, when you go into the freezer walk-in, it's, it's a little different. And um, sometimes you'll have ice buildup on the floor. This, uh, this facility that I inspected, I noticed that there was ice buildup on the floor. And my recommendation was rubber mats. You've, you may have seen those big, heavy rubber mats. Sometimes they're red, sometimes they're black, and they've got holes in them. Um, so the water would drain through. I suggested you put a mat down in the, the freezer and you remove it daily. That way it doesn't get frozen or have ice buildup on top of it and then replace it uh, during the work hours. This employer chose not to do it and it was shortly after they had an employee go in to the freezer, slipped on the patch of ice as he was coming down, hit his elf, elbow on uh, one of the, the metal shelves and shattered his elbow. Oh, ouch. And it was an easy and preventable injury from occurring. So yeah. it's just looking at the hazards in the workplace, whether it be an elevated uh, work platform, uh, working surface, or the same level. Yeah, I mean, you don't realize how severe an injury you you can have uh, just from falling you know when you're standing on the working surface right just that just that slip and fall and shatter an elbow i mean that's that's nasty well if you look at the um the same level fatalities you would be surprised by the the amount of uh, fatalities that occurred from the same level walking yeah, that's crazy. Uh, trip, trip hazard, slip falls, uh, hit your head, and um, you don't you don't come home from work. Wow. Well, did this restaurant uh, get the mats after? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yes. So it was a hard lesson, an expensive lesson. Um, you know, my team and I—that's what we try to do—is is prevent that and educate uh, the employers on how to protect the the uh, employees in the workplace. Most of the time, the employers are focused on growth and production uh, and running their business. And that's why I highly recommend hiring a safety professional or at least a consultant to help you. Um, if you're one of our clients, then you've got a team behind you. And, and we do the training. We d- develop the programs, the fall protection. We educate you on it, educate your employees. Yeah, and that's why that's why being with a PEO is a no-brainer. And in fact, businesses that partner with a PEO are more successful. They have more longevity, and it's for things for reasons like this because this is an important part of your financial health and well-being as a small business. Your work comp premium is experience rated, so it's based in part on your individual performance and. When you're having claims that are easily avoidable, it just makes no sense. It's so I definitely plugging in to those services and getting access to someone of your caliber and expertise and having you come out as part of that service is invaluable. 
Absolutely. And, and it's not just me, you know, with the company I work for, you have a team of six, uh, trained health and safety professionals. Uh, some of them are, are, are trained in uh, different areas as far as HASCOM goes, HASWOPER. Uh, our trainers can do almost any safety and health training that, that would be required in your industry, whether it be construction or general industry. Um, in construction, the, uh, the story I was going to tell you was a, a company that uh, did roofing, and it wasn't your traditional house roofing it was commercial roofing they would they would do the uh the uh, waterproof membrane applications on uh, commercial buildings so typically you when you go up on a building you have a parapet wall ranging anywhere from 40 inches and up or higher which is leading edge protection so if there's no skylights up there or any kind of other roof openings that would would uh would cause a hazard to a fall at a lower level, you wouldn't need any any other fall protection. You wouldn't need uh, harnesses or anything like that. However, now let's say we have a skylight. Now you have a fall hazard. Unless that skylight is rated to protect the employee from fall, meaning he could stand on it uh, and it, it was... I think it's three times the weight of a worker plus material he may be carrying. Most skylights aren't rated for that. So the, they make a, a cage that you can put over these that would protect an, a worker from falling through. Typically, uh, in, a, in a, uh, a construction situation, you may have roof openings that you're required to, to rail off, cover. And let's talk about covers for a minute. This is specifically um, what happened at this work site. The uh, HVAC contractor cut a, a hole. It was probably about a, a four by six hole in the uh, the roof decking. He covered it with a, a three quarter inch sheet of plywood, which was acceptable. It would it would uh, handle the weight of a worker. Um, but what he didn't do which is required by OSHA, is secure that piece of plywood, spray paint on it, danger hole, do not remove, to warn uh, the employer, the employees that, uh, that there's, a, there's a hazard. Yeah, hey, this time. isn't just uh, laying here for no reason. Don't. <laughs> this isn't scrap that you can, that needs to be thrown away. It's covering a hole. That's right. Um, so this particular worker, uh, it started to rain, and uh, they were putting visqueen over the roof, some plastic over the roof to uh, to keep water from entering the building, and it was kind of windy. So his name was Jaime. Jaime went over to pick up this piece of plywood uh, that wasn't identified that there's a hazard, and he, he lifted it up, grabbed it with his two hands, and then raised it above his head. When he did that, he stepped forward. When he stepped forward, he fell through that opening that was not identified and fell 22 feet. Uh-huh. Broke, b- broke both his legs, broke his right arm, and fractured the side of his, his, his skull. Wow. He was out of work uh, for over a year. Very expensive claim. Um, if the HVAC company 
would have identified the hazard, secured it, and followed the standard that OSHA developed for that, it would have never occurred. It would have never happened. No. The uh, HVAC contractor and the general contractor were both cited by OSHA and fined, in my opinion, not nearly enough, uh, $44,000. Wow. The good thing is, is, is Jaime recovered and uh, at, at full capacity, and he's still working for that uh, that roofing company today. Oh wow, oh, that's a great well, story. It is. It is a good story, and it it actually brings up another point where, you know, in this situation, you have a a company, an employer who's working on a a, a project, and. There's also other companies working on that same project. So is there any concern from one employer to make sure that other that other companies or contractors that are also working on that project are properly trained as well? Because that sounds like it becomes a hazard for your own employees when there's other other contractors on the job. Yeah, Robert, whenever whenever you're working on a, a multi-employer work site, you have all kinds of hazards that, uh, you know, if you're just an electrician and that's all you do is remodels and there's nobody working, you, you, you know your hazards. But when you walk onto a site with plumbers and framers and roofers, there's all kinds of new hazards that you're exposed to. So each... Uh, each employer has a responsibility to to appoint a qualified uh, supervisor to be on site. And daily, you walk that site before work begins. You identify the hazards that are created that day or you may be exposed to that day. Uh, you document them. You have a safety meeting with your team on how you're going to work around those um, hazards safely uh, and uh, and identify what PPE may be required to work around those hazards uh, safely and train the employees that day, document your safety meeting, and then don't walk away. You you need to check in periodically and make sure that those those, uh, safety controls are being used to protect the employees. Right. Well, guys, we could talk about this all day long. There's so much to, to, to learn in this area. And, Bill, we really appreciate you being on the show and sharing those experiences and uh, teaching us a thing or two about, um, about fall protection. Yeah, Bill, thanks. Anytime, guys. Uh, I'd like to come back and talk to you about other hazards in the industry anytime. Oh, you can count on it. We're definitely going to have you back, and uh, we'll we'll get into. I, I really like to talk about uh, more about OSHA's role and and you know the penal their in, their inspections and their penalties, and you know also their. I know they have some programs to help. They're not just there to always uh, penalize you, right? They they do they do offer some uh, some assistance, but. So there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, the OSHA, whether it's be a state program or a federal program, has what they, is known as OSHA consultation. And also OSHA consultation will come out to your work site. 
They'll identify hazards. They'll look at your programs. They'll tell you where your strong points are, where your weak points are, how to improve. And a lot of uh, employers are are frightened or afraid to use that service because they think, well, this is OSHA. They're going to come out and they're going to cite me. Yeah, I'm letting the the wolf in sheep's clothing. That's that's correct. Now, they're they're not allowed to – consultation's not allowed to talk to uh, enforcement. The Ah. only time they're allowed to talk to enforcement is if they identify a life-threatening hazard where an employee could, you know, lose a life uh, or limb – they have a responsibility to come back and follow up on that that hazard that was identified at the time of uh, their walkthrough. And if the employee employer refuses or chooses not to correct it, well, that would be the only time that consultation is, is going to go talk to enforcement and enforcement. they're going to show up. Yeah, right. Because their goal is to prevent an injury from occurring. Well, there you go. There's a preview to the uh, next episode with Bill Marshall. So we'll we'll dive into that a little deeper. But for now, uh, that's all the time we have for today. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac. Yeah, sorry about the pause. I'll fix that.